0: So I'm gonna give you a little hint about the topic of today's episode. All right, I'm ready. All right, this, this should be pretty easy. That's it? Okay, all right, I'll give you one more. All right, that's
1: too easy. That's the music when you beat a level in Super Mario Brothers 3. I know this because I played that game endlessly as a kid.
0: That's right. Today, we're going to talk about one of the longest evolutions of a company I've come across anyway, right? None other than Nintendo, the makers of Super Mario Brothers, and so many other classic games and consoles. What you might not know is this is a company that started nearly 100 years before the home console even existed. That and more on today's episode of Rocketship FM. Welcome to Rocketship.fm.
1: Racket Ship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective.
0: We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito.
1: As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play. Rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit hackerone.com slash AI for more, again, Hacker, slash A-I.
0: This episode is sponsored by PorkBun.com. PorkBun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies, too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding and hosting trials, because why pay for things that should be free? Right. All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year and more five star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. So as I was doing some research into key moments in various companies' histories, this one stood out as a lesson in longevity and reinvention as the history of Nintendo begins in 1889.
1: Yeah, the Dakotas, Montana, Washington, those wouldn't even be states in the U.S. until late in the year. (laughs) Thomas Edison was still working out the details of the motion picture. And in Kyoto, Japan, artist Fusajiro Yamauchi founded Nintendo Kōpai
0: to produce Hanafuda playing cards. Nintendo is thought to roughly translate to Leave Luck to Heaven, a reference to playing games of chance. But, I don't know, it can alternatively be translated as the Temple of Free Hanafuda. And which meaning Yamauchi intended is unknown. Yeah. Hanafuda is a style of Japanese playing cards used to play a
1: variety of games. Uh, the cards themselves are pieces of art, often lavishly decorated... At this time, they were hand-painted on mulberry bark, and because of Yamuchi's artistic gifts, his cards became extremely popular.
0: Despite a favorable start, right, the company did face some financial difficulties due to the slow and expensive manufacturing process. High product price coupled with operating in a, a fairly niche market. And the cards were actually very, very durable, which impacted sales due to the low replacement rate. The quality of their product was simply too good. As a solution, Nintendo produced a cheaper
1: and lower quality line of playing cards. Tengu, while also seeking to expand into other
0: cities such as Osaka, were considerable profits were found in card games. And Nintendo continued to grow. They even created a partnership with a well known tobacco brand to sell their cards within cigarette stores in the early 1900s. Japanese culture stipulated that for Nintendo Kopai to
1: continue as a family business after Yamauchi's retirement, Yamauchi had to adopt his son in law so that he may take over the business. As a result, Sekiro Kaneda adopted the Yamauchi surname in 1907 and became the second president of Nintendo Kopai in 1929. By that time, Nintendo Kopai was the largest
0: card game company in Japan. At one point, they were supplying the Yakuza, an organized crime syndicate, with cards for their casinos. Yeah, this is especially profitable as each new game required a new deck of cards. And these playing cards were a core focus for Nintendo for decades, in fact, through multiple generations of CEOs. Here's Parisha Hagarahan, professor of Japanese management at the Sofia University, talking a bit about Nintendo's history. Playing cards were a good business until the 1950s. But they also realized if they continue doing playing cards, they will not be able to survive
1: in 1949 21 year old hiroshi yamachi became president of nintendo and would go on to run the company for more than 50
0: years but it wasn't easy transitioning a 60 year old card manufacturing company away from cards in 1952 he centralized the production of cards in the kyoto
1: factories which led to the expansion of offices The company's new line of plastic cards enjoyed considerable success in Japan, but some of the company's employees, uh, accustomed to a more cautious and conservative leadership, they viewed the new measures with concern, and the rising tension
0: led to a call for a strike. However, the measure had no major impact. As Hiroshi simply laid off several dissatisfied workers and moved on, (laughs) but they continued to expand their playing card business, moving into various types of playing cards, even adult-themed playing cards. But there was one major event that would change the course of Nintendo's history. In the late
1: 1950s, Hiroshi Yamauchi traveled to the United States and visited Disneyland.
0: Seeing the vast empire that Walt Disney had built, Hiroshi Yamauchi in 1959 entered into an agreement with Walt Disney to incorporate Disney's animated characters into these Nintendo playing cards. Nintendo also developed a distribution system that allowed it to offer its products in toy stores. So by 1961, the company had sold more than 1.5 million card packs. This brought about a period of economic prosperity for the company,
1: and in 1963, they officially renamed the company Nintendo. So they could branch out in different directions as a company and weren't tied necessarily to the playing cards
0: eventually though the disney card sales began to show signs of exhaustion nintendo realized it had no real alternative with which to alleviate the situation cards were on their way out after the 1964 tokyo olympics Nintendo's stock price plummeted to its lowest record at 60 yen and
1: this is where they enter a really fascinating
0: period of time in the company's history that and more after a quick break That's business.att.com. So before the break in 1964, the Nintendo company has reached a low point as the demand for their playing cards was slowing. So this is the R&D part of the story. The part of the story that starts to get a little weird, honestly. (laughs) Yes, between 1963 and 1968, Yamauchi invested in several business lines for Nintendo that were far from its traditional market and for the most part were vastly unsuccessful. Among these ventures were packages of instant rice, ramen noodles, walkie-talkies, baby strollers, a chain of short-stay love hotels, and a taxi service. Although the taxi service was better received than the previous efforts, Yamauchi rejected this initiative after a series of disagreements with the local unions. But then, in 1968, a light bulb went off. Here's the author of Super Mario, How Nintendo
1: Conquered America, Jeff Ryan, on this aha moment.
0: Trading cards kept on making money, but it was a small amount of money. He realized that there was a distribution network that was valuable beyond just the cards that they were selling. Because that allowed him, if he wanted to make a toy, he could get it into every toy store in Japan, which was something that a normal toy manufacturer starting from scratch can't do. So their first toy was the Ultra Hand, an extendable arm, similar to like a a grab hand toy that you'd find in a dollar store. This was actually designed by a maintenance worker at one of Nintendo's card factories. The toy went to market in 1970 and sold 1.2 million units. So now
1: they were officially in the toy business.
0: Yes, and they went on to produce the 10 Billion Barrel, and innovative marble game, the Love Tester, which was one of the first electronic devices that was a passion detector. They even created a remote-controlled vacuum cleaner for children who, you know, they love to clean, right? And in 1973, they produced a light gun
1: accessory for arcade games.
0: Which sounds like a precursor to Duck Hunt. Here's digital historian Alex Handy talking about this period of the company's history. In the 60s and 70s, you would see them with sort of electronic toys, dabbling in electronics. And by the end of the 70s, they had produced a home pong console and they saw video games as a way forward for the company, a new thing to experiment with. So
1: now they were off to the races. They finally found a way to reinvent themselves for the next generation of
0: gamers. So that brings us to 1979. Here's a clip from a CNBC segment on the rise of Nintendo. In
1: 1979, Nintendo started producing arcade games with names like Sheriff, Space Fever, and then, in 1980, RadarScope. But Radar Scope was a failure for the just-established Nintendo of America, so it was reworked into a new game by a young artist named Shigeru Miyamoto, who would eventually become one of the most famous and beloved figures in all of video game history. That reworked game, released in 1981, was Nintendo's first big hit, Donkey Kong. That's right. The Donkey Kong.
0: That little squeak as Jumpman jumps and climbs those ladders, that brings back some memories. For sure. But now we'll get back to Jumpman in a second. First, here's Alex Handy again. The video game market in the early 1980s had lots of investment, lots of new companies. Everybody and their mother was making video games for the Atari. Everybody goes to arcades and plays arcade games. Now it's worth noting here just for a second that this is 90 years after the company was founded. This is a massive evolution from where they started. Though still rooted in gaming, I don't know, these types of stories are really fascinating.
1: Yeah, but things weren't completely rosy just yet. In 1983, the arcade game market had become oversaturated and people started creating low quality games just to get something out in this growing market people got fed up with playing low quality games at arcades and
0: at home on Atari consoles and the industry started to take a nosedive. That's right, in 1983, the arcade game industry took a 66% hit and the home console fell 93% from 14 billion to just 1 billion. At this same time,
1: Nintendo released the Famicom home console in Japan a cute
0: precursor to the Nintendo that many of us had in our homes. Now, you, you might actually be dating us, but <laughs> <hey>. <laughs> we'll tackle Nintendo's famous launch of the home console in America after a quick break.
1: Before the break, we were discussing the release of Donkey Kong
0: and their move to the home console, releasing the Famicom in Japan. And the U.S. market was in a state of fluctuation. Both arcades and Atari, the largest home console maker, they were suffering from releasing too many overpriced, low-quality games. Here's another clip from CNBC's rise of Nintendo. A lot of people at the time said, you know, Nintendo, you missed the boat here, you know. You guys don't know what you're doing, but that's also exactly why they succeeded is because the market was at the perfect point for them to come in and completely take over.
1: So Nintendo reworked the Famicom, gave it a new housing, renamed it the Nintendo Entertainment System or NES, and released it in North America in
0: 1985. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Now you're playing with power.
1: And one of the big shifts they made in their marketing was positioning Nintendo as a toy, not as a video game. They actually packaged the original Nintendo with a toy robot named Rob to further this point. Here's Trisha Hirschberger, a gaming host and creator.
0: Nintendo was the one who said, we're going to make this for kids. We're going to do a heavy marketing push for toys. Get it out of electronics because nobody's buying it in electronics. So in 1986, the Nintendo was the hottest toy in the market then again in 1987.
1: Interactive or video games will lead the holiday charge to the cash register. Retailer's overwhelming choice for the season's biggest hit will once again be the Nintendo Entertainment System.
0: They're exciting
1: and challenging. It's fun challenging each other with two-player games. The key to their success in overtaking Atari, who just a couple of years before held 88% of the home console market, was the quality of their games. They moved from shooting the alien Space Invader style into the immersive games like The Legend of Zelda and Super Mario Brothers. Here's a 1988 clip from an NBC story on the topic. The total market at retail in, in 1988 is some $2.3 billion. In a hardware sense, it's uh, probably about eight to eight and a half million pieces of hardware in 1988. And of that, Nintendo has just an excess of 80% of those, uh, those customers.
0: Now, you mentioned Super Mario Brothers.
1: their flagship game on the Nintendo console.
0: Now, the Mario character was actually from another Nintendo arcade game, Donkey Kong and even Donkey Kong Jr., except at that time he was known as Jumpman. That's right. In Donkey Kong Jr., Mario, as we now have
1: named him, puts Donkey Kong in a cage, and Donkey Kong Jr. needs to save his father from
0: him. Both were actually huge hits. Yeah, Nintendo was actually pushing Donkey Kong as the breakout star of their company, licensing them on everything they could, even allowing Coleco to create a console version of the Donkey Kong game. But then Universal Studios, which own the
1: rights of another great ape, King Kong... They sued Nintendo in 1982, alleging
0: that Donkey Kong infringed on their King Kong copyright. Nintendo easily prevailed in the case, which was closed in 1983, determining that a previous ruling had already set precedence that the rights to King Kong were actually in the public domain. Soon after, Mario branched out
1: on its own in the arcade version of Mario Brothers. A simplified version, more in line with Donkey
0: Kong-style play than Super Mario Bros. But when Nintendo began making games for the home console, they took the Mario character and this idea of a plumber who could travel through pipes and created the most expansive and immersive game created at the time, Super Mario Bros. People who were used to
1: Donkey Kong and Defender-style games
0: had never experienced anything like it,
1: and it captured the imagination of kids and adults across the world.
0: And to this day, Super Mario Bros., by unit of sale, is still the best selling Mario game of all time, pushing over 40 million units, followed closely by Mario Kart Wii. Now, we don't
1: have time to cover all of Nintendo's hits since Super Mario Brothers, but this is a fascinating journey through a company that's been around for over 130 years and through various forms of
0: leadership and has been able to continue to evolve and grow. Yes, I love the lesson of spending five years in R&D trying all types of strange ideas to see what was able to pick up traction. Yeah, and the fact that they eventually landed in a place that wasn't actually too far from where they began, but a more modernized version of what was core to the company, games. Absolutely. So that's all for this week's episode. We'll see you here next week on Rocketship.fm. Thanks so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocket FM now has a premium ad-free feed. All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash Rocketship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad-free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, and
1: Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective,
0: which is a community for software
1: product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry
0: virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate Network. So a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on Rocketship.fm.